everybody, and welcome to the 49th Blockbuster episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that turns on revolt every time we claim a victory. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everyone. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing all sorts of interesting, valuable information with you tonight. Our show is sponsored by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. All right, so we're uh, back to our usual segments this week, minus the metagame week in review, right? Yeah, yeah, we've got uh, segment one, Top Movers, where we're going to look at the cards that have increased in price the most this past week. Segment two is our cards to watch, where James and I will point out cards that we think are primed for a increase in price at some point. Uh, and then segment three is our topic of the week. This week we'll be talking about uh, the Ether Revolt spoilers and kind of perusing that list. Uh, no magic events uh, of note to speak of. Um, <clears throat> also like to take a moment to apologize. I have been battling some form of this cold for several weeks now, so <laughs> hopefully you can all bear with me. Um, all right, let's get started here. Segment one, top movers. Uh, first card out of the gate, Engineered Explosives, the Modern Masters copy, foil specifically. Started the week at about $80. It's now up to 150 supposedly, uh, for a pretty large gain. Uh, I don't think there's a single copy of this floating around on the internet at the moment that costs less than 150 I don't think we've really seen any copies sell. I mean, the TCG marketplace is still 70. So this just seems like somebody bought one of the three copies that was left online and someone relisted it for some ludicrous price. Yeah, I mean, it looks like on eBay, we can get some for around 90 bucks up into the $100 range, um, both originals and or uh, uh, modern masters versions. But um, even if it's 80 to 100, anybody that was in on these at like 30 or 40 a couple of years back is going to be pretty happy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to take the next one because this card is near and dear to my heart. This is Martin Stromgold. Um, this is, uh, it started out the week at $1.80. It jumps to about three fifty dollars uh, for about a double up. Now, Martin Stromgold, for those of you who haven't been listening uh, to the cast for too long, is a reserve list form on a 1-1 that when he attacks, he basically gives your team a coat of arms. Um, which makes your team humongous if you attack with a bunch of guys. Um, I was attacked by this card once in an EDH game, went home and bought some copies because I was like, damn, that thing is good. Uh, I firmly believe that this card would be worth a lot more money if people realize what it does, but it's a just a wall of text kind of on the card, so it's a little difficult to parse for new players. Uh, I don't know. I believe that that has helped hold it back. I don't know how much of a death sentence that can be for over the life of the card completely but in any case it's a powerful card the supply has been pretty low for a while there's only one copy for sale right now a tcg player um people keep picking up the last copy or two uh and supply stays low so it's kind of this isn't the this isn't even the second time i think we've seen this on our list here it just kind of yo-yos as the last copy gets bought out and then somebody lists one or two more yeah, I got five copies of this that I yanked out of the Super Collection leftovers, and uh, I'll be happy to get out of them somewhere around $4 when it eventually settles cleanly at that price. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, what's, uh, what's next for us? So Frontier is still creating little ripples through the speculation community and moving the prices on a few things. Uh, Dig Through Time moved from $2 to four fifty for 125% gain. Um, you know, people that got <laughs> stuck holding these um, after they got banned... Um, are probably pretty thrilled to have an opportunity to exit. Um, I've uh, I sold most of my Treasure Cruise foils and Dig Through Time foils, but I think I s- kept a playset of both. Um, and I think I have a couple Japanese playsets of either... I think it's Treasure Cruise, actually. Um, so, yeah, by all means, Frontier, keep uh, rolling along so I can have an opportunity to n- not log those as permanent failures. Did you catch our, uh, our Cartel Aristocrats webcast this Monday, James? I only got through half it before I had to run out the door. Um, I was uh, actually yep. watching it at work. My uh, my pick of the week was don't buy Frontier cards. I had an anti-pick of the week over there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, I mean, so I, this is, I mean, I agree um, from the perspective that I think the risk is too high. Um, even the ones that have already made money, like, and have made me good money, like Jace, um, were sensible picks because they had a backup plan. But some of these other cards, like Dig, that's banned everywhere else, um, you know, if you're going to get in at two, you can't really get out at 450 to five and make any money unless you're trading out at your local store, which might be a solid viable option if your store is actually into Frontier, um, which is pretty rare. Um, you know, certainly in Toronto, they're doing well. They're about six bucks at face to face where we're getting like 25 people every Wednesday night for frontier. And there's a thousand dollar frontier tournament on the weekend. Um, so I imagine it could end up in specific markets being, um, more expensive than others, which could be interesting if it starts to take off in other big cities, because then there could be arbitrage from the smaller communities that aren't playing the format to the ones that are, um, but yeah, I think that you, anything you go in on for Frontier, you really want to be able to get out cleanly um, or, you know, before the format either collapses or um, you're going to be taking a lot of risk on to hold, um, hoping that the format grows as those of us that are playing it certainly, you know, believe and hope will will happen. Um, but the bottom line is there's a long way to go. And uh, it's there are less risky things you can be doing to make money in Magic right now. Um, that don't require, require betting on a brand new format. Yeah, I think that's really the the key factor here is we're not talking about buying cards based on a format that was just announced that hasn't been figured out yet. We're talking about a format that doesn't exist yet. I mean, there's there's always better better baskets to put your apples into. Um, go ahead and take the next one too if you want. So Master Transmuter, uh, had a couple of those lying around in a casual deck, was very pleased to see them get up into the $30 range, and uh, I tested those waters uh, online this week and sold one in that at that price, so it's real. Um, moving up from 12 bucks for 136% gain, this is almost certainly continuing Brea demand and maybe uh, a little bit of uh, dovetailing with the Ether Revolt artifact hype. Um, people getting pretty excited about all the different things you can do with artifacts these days, and certainly the casual crowd continues to drive um, spikes in cards that are 5 to 10 years old. Jason Alt brought up a really interesting point with this. It's people like you and I and a lot of Magic players see cards spoiled. We see Brea show up, and we see the list. We immediately identify gaps, and we figure out what cards fill those gaps, and we buy it, and we can do all this before the set hits shelves. But a lot of EDH players don't see the decks until they walk into a store and buy it. And then they put it on their desk and they spread it all out and they look at it. And maybe then they think about what they want, but then not even necessarily. It's not even until they've started to play the game. They've got a couple games under their belt with it. And they start to maybe look at filling in some gaps and picking up some new cards. And that can take time. And you, you know, these commander decks only came out, what a month and a half ago, maybe. So uh, it's not surprising to see cards, continuing to sort of feel the aftershocks of those commander decks because the a lot of the players that play that format uh, just don't move as fast as the rest of us. And one of the things that's interesting is that uh, the Commander 2016 product is uh, the Brea and Atraxa deck specifically are either sold out or uh, tremendously overpriced depending on where you're looking. Um, every big box store I've checked, uh, the Atraxa deck was gone. Um, Brea decks are, you know, few and far between, but still uh, occasionally uh, uh, findable. Um, the in most uh, LGSs, they've got them marked according to demand. But the thing is that there's going to be another wave of these decks that's going to get released across the board at big box and LGS, um, and maybe you know again once or twice after that through the distribution chain. So we should, as has happened with Commander products before, get another shot at these decks. And as more people acquire Brea and Atraxa, these cards have potential to spike again or to see you know continued or um, uh, increasing demand. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, okay, next up is Pride of the Clouds from Dissension. Uh, probably foils and non-foils, but non-foil specifically. Jumped from 4 to 11 uh, for about a $7 gain, a little under 200%. I believe this is a Saffron Olive list. I just was poking around and couldn't find, find it, but I'm sure it's out there. Uh, it's not at all sustainable unless the deck is really good, and I haven't heard anyone talk about the deck, so this... Should be back down close to its $4 price tag uh, within within a couple days or weeks. 
Yeah, the, the, the Saffron Olive picks have had trouble holding prices, but have been very good short-term, especially in Magic Online. Um, and if you're trying to make money off Saf, um, Magic Online is probably where you want to be. Um, I consistently claim 20, 60, 80% profits um, on you know penny stock cards that you go in 20 or 30 copies on, you make 10, 20 bucks off the whole thing over overnight, You know, relatively quick series of transactions while you're sitting around in front of Netflix or whatever. Um, it's not a huge deal, but it's a, a nice consistent drip, drip, drip into your wallet that is, is hard to say no to. The deck was published on, I think, the 22nd. Uh, Jeskai Flying Men was its name. Um, oh, so this is a ways back then. Yeah, it was running Judges Familiar, Mausoleum Wanderer, Pride of the Clouds, Mantis Rider, Spell Queller, Lightning Angel. Um, you know, it was all flyers, all haste. Um, and Pride of the Clouds uh, is a 1-1 one, one for white and a blue that has flying. And it gives plus 1, plus 1 for... It gets plus 1, plus 1 for each other creature in play with flying. So if you've got two or three of them, the thing gets to be pretty reasonable. Um, and then it has four cast, two white, blue. If you got one stuck in your hand, you can reveal it and put a 1-1 a one, one white and blue bird creature token with flying into play um, during your upkeep only. Um so it was also running Favorable Winds, which is the crusade for flying creatures, uh, and then Electrolyze, Vapor Snag, and Lightning Bolt to wrap things up. Um, so yeah, you, you get in and out on the Saffron stuff because the you know this is a, a budget deck um, that you know people are going to fool around with for a little bit and then forget about. Occasionally, he hits on lists that have a little more staying power, and some of the cards uh, maintain better than others. True. Um, I, I, I I I'm find myself lacking an example at the moment but it, it it is you know none of them are ever stay quite you know where they peach to but uh yeah they're kind of all over the place on on what type of longevity they have basically if you don't hear lots of people talking about the deck uh immediately after it gets posted then there's not much longevity on it i mean it, it's possible pride of the clouds holds ten dollars plus now because it's an it's an old card um dissensions a ways back now and there's only two copies left on TCG and only a smattering um, across the other vendors on MTG Price and on eBay. So, um, you know, any amount of demand, really, you know, a few players a month interested in picking up the card might be able to hold the new plateau. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm skeptical. Uh, okay, what's next for us? Uh, so oh. Reshape moved, uh, the foils moved from 950, so about 10 bucks, to 35. That's a $25 gain per copy, 270%. Um, and I'm going to say that this is on the back of uh, both Brea and or Ether Revolt hype. Um, there's so many busted things you can do with artifacts uh, right now, and the ability to go tutor one up is always going to be strong in those kind of scenarios. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly if there was a specific card that came out, I thought it spiked when the artifact court of calling was spoiled, but I could be wrong. Um, but clearly it has to do with the just general artifact theme of the set. Um, maybe one of our listeners can chime in and give us a more specific um, point that we, uh, we have overlooked, but for the most part, it seems to be kind of some combination thereof. Yeah, for people that aren't familiar, uh, the way this card works is uh, it's X blue blue sorcery, and as an additional cost to play it, you have to sack an artifact. So in the day, now that we have all these thopters and servos running around, that may be trivial. Search your library for an artifact card with converted mana cost X or less and put it into play. So it's basically Demonic Tutor plus X, where X is the card you want to go get. Not unlike a Bring to Light style effect, um, but in an artifact-specific deck. Um, so almost certainly going to be um, most at home in EDH, but maybe people have got plans for it in modern. Who knows? Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. Maybe it's the maybe it's the idea that eggs was going to come back because um, reshape was part of eggs. Sure. I don't know. That could be it. Uh, too. Yeah. All right. Let's finish off the week here with Beck Call. Beck and Call from Dragon's Maze. Uh, both foils and non foils, but the non foil specifically went from about fifty cents to three dollars. Uh, which is a 500% jump. Uh, I will tell you that the reason for that was the card SRAMS, which is a really awkward name, by the way, SRAMS Expertise, which is part of this cycle. Um, SRAMS Expertise is the four mana white spell that makes three 1-1 one, one flyers, and then you can cast a spell for three or less from your hand for free. Uh, so what that allows you to do with Beck and Call is you cast Expertise, you put three 1-1 bird tokens into play, and then you cast 
the back half of Beckham Call, but because you're fusing it, you get to cast both halves. Uh, it's a little funky, but the result is that you get to cast both halves of the card, which means you get four more flying tokens, and you get to draw four cards, because you had just had four creatures come into play. So it turns into four mana for seven flying one ones and draw four cards, uh, which obviously sounds pretty sweet. Um, is it good enough for modern? I'm not sure. I think that black-white tokens could be in the market for an effect like this. Um, you know, that's a, a deck that has traditionally been a little lacking on card advantage, uh, and to put that many tokens into play and draw that much new resources would certainly be helpful. Um, you know, I'm a big Beck and Call fan. I've got quite a stack of them. I'm not convinced that this is, uh, this is Beck and Call's time to shine. I think that it is more likely that when that card finally gets there, it will be based on uh, its glimpse impression in modern rather than being cheated into play. Um, because I don't think there can't be that many decks that would be interested in the um, expertise slash beck and call um, pairing, especially with how these cards work, um, which pays off all sorts of split cards. So it's not just beck and call that, that kind of gets involved here. Yeah, I mean, there's it's possible that casual demand will be enough to keep this moving, um, specifically on the foil side of things. The non-foils, uh, from looking at TCG inventory, were getting relatively low, like there's maybe 30 results. Uh, that's probably something like 60, 70 copies of the card. You called this back in show number nine last, uh, late last winter um, at 40 cents, targeting five bucks, so ring the bell, brother. Um, well, <laughs> let me tell you this way. If I sell the place that I put up there for a total of $10, we can ring it then. So, so the thing is, I, I bought, I think, 15 copies at a dollar each during a Star City Games sale um, of the foils, that, that is, um, last December of 2015, and I sold foils online today for $10 each. So um, going from a dollar to $10 certainly has me excited, um, and if the demand is sustainable at the new plateau for the foils, then I have to imagine that uh, we'll be able to unload these uh, relatively quickly. Yeah, I mean, the foils certainly seem a little better just because there's so many fewer, obviously, and you're bound to catch at least a couple people that want to do this. But the non-foils have a, have, they have a bit of a, a, a supply to climb over before they really turn the corner. But hey, I'm all for it. Yeah, um, I'm, seeing, okay. I'm seeing like 13 copies of the foils left, <clears throat> plus uh, a few smatterings here and there. Uh, the, the, I mean, in... SRAM's expertise is also a card we're going to be, <laughs> we'll probably talk about it in, in the next segment, so maybe I'll, sh I'll save it for there. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot more to that conversation. We'll get to that. All right, let's go to segment two, our cards to watch. Uh, why don't you uh, kick us off this week? Sure. So my first pick this week is Chasm Skulker Foils. Uh, this is also an Atraxit card, uh, a card that was basically a bulk rare until people realized that it was going to be bonkers in uh, decks that were focused on uh, plus one plus one tokens. This is the card from M15 that is a uh, blue 1-1 one, one squid horror. When you draw a card, put a plus one plus one counter on Chasm Skulker, and when it dies, you put X 1-1 one, one blue squid token. Uh, creature tokens with Idlin Walk into play uh, equal to the number of counters that were on Chasm Skulker. So now that everybody's fooling around with the Traxa and Hardened Scales and um, all of these tasty plus one plus one counter cards that have shown up uh, for Ether Revolt, um, the foils of this card are likely to get better and better. They were event uh, originally available in the like two to three dollar range at, at one point. They started pretty high because people were excited about the card when it was revealed. Then it did nothing in Standard, never showed up in Modern. Um, I'm a, the only fool who ever ran it at an LGS, as far as I know. Um, and now you can pick up a relatively limited supply of the foils for about five bucks. Um, and I could easily see this being a future ten to fifteen dollar foil um, on a tracks uh, uh, back alone. I remember you were big on this back when it was in standard. You were talking about this card. Yep. I have a whole a bunch. For a while. I have a whole bunch of these. I bought at a dollar. Um, but the funny thing is, I don't know where they are now. Um, I'm still trying to find that that little uh, uh, plastic box full of skulkers. They are skulking in a corner, um, as is their nature. And hopefully, I will find them one day and profit. Yeah, I actually misplaced my restore balances. <laughs> I don't know That's where not they good. Are at this point, no, I'm gonna have to look for those one of these days. Uh, Catalog right, so, people. Catalog your yeah. collections properly. Well, you know, I have since cleaned up my desk considerably, but whatever. Uh, my first pick this week is uh, Boom Bust. 
um, to kind of fit into that split card hype. Uh, <clears throat> right now it's at about nine dollars. Um, I think this is this is well over twenty dollars. If there's any any interest in it at all, supply is very low. Um, Boom bust, Beck call, uh, all of those cards that are split cards because of the way. Um, this cycle works in Aether Revolt. You get to cast with the Fuse cards, you can cast both halves for free. With Boom Bust and the older split cards, you can cast either half. Um, but of course, the bust on Boom Bust is Armageddon. So you now have a cycle of cards that allows you to cast a six mana Armageddon for free. So you can look at the red card that was just spoiled, uh, Kari Zev's Expertise. It's a three mana sorcery. You threaten a creature or vehicle, and then you get to cast something for two or less for free, which turns into the bus. So you can steal a creature and then Armageddon on three mana. Um, and then you can look at the other colors too. The blue one, the blue one bounces stuff. Really, that might be the one to pair with Boom Bust because then you can bounce three creatures to their hand and then Armageddon. Uh, so they're not coming back down. Um, but but the point being is here, there are a lot of options here, and I, I don't know what the best one's going to be, but I know that Boom Bust is one of the strongest split cards out there because casting a spell and doing something and then Armageddoning at the same time uh, is just going to be very difficult for a lot of decks to deal with. Um, I mean, you can even look at the ultra-fast decks like Infect, but if you're blowing up all their lands, including their... Uh, uh, Ingmoth Nexus is, you know, they're still going to have some work to do to climb back into the game, especially if you gained any board advantage in the process. So, um, you know, I've spoken at length about Restore Balance and Wheel of Fate. I won't get into those, but I do think Boom Bust is similarly well positioned with this new cycle. Yeah, I mean, I can. The inventory is relatively low. We've talked about the card in the past. There's a whole bunch of new ways to cast uh, these split cards in unfair fashion. Many of them are going to be overrated. Um, there are going to be all sorts of dirtily plans that fall through, um, including ones that I will come up with shortly. Um, but that none of that uh, changes the fact that somebody like a Sam Black um, can easily come to the table at a major tournament somewhere with some busted ass concept that the rest of us missed and put these cards on the map in a hurry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ari Lax has been trying to break restore balance. I just need him to show up to one damn GP and win. And then that's it. Come on, buddy. Come on, Ari. <laughs> um, you might be able to do something crazy with breaking and entering. That's the one that puts eight cards in somebody's uh, from their library into their graveyard, and then you get to put a creature from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control, and it gains haste. Um, yeah, that was the one that I was looking at before. Before I wrote down Boom Boss, it was the other card I was looking at. Yeah, I mean, you you knock an Emrakul into the graveyard and then hit for fifteen. <laughs> that seems okay. Yeah, when you're the the blue black the blue black mill deck in modern that I I played at a GP um, played these in the side played these in the no, play them in the main, but your goal against Tron, at least in game one, was to uh, put a boom bust under your own Sheldock Isle, mill them until the, they had less than 20 cards, and then when they flipped their Emrakul, trigger boom bust with the shuffle trigger on the stack to steal their Emrakul and kill them. So it was it was a long shot, <laughs> for sure, since no for one doubt. thing, you couldn't... You couldn't stay, you couldn't uh, set up your Shellbuck Isles. You just had to hope. But there was a strategy for it. It does work. Yeah, I mean, the, the bottom line is take a long, hard look at the free spells, um, the, the ones that have suspend and the ones that are fuse capable, um, and try to figure out if some of these new expertise cards, um, and there's also the artifact feature we're going to talk about shortly, um, that can cast things for free, might be something uh, tasty that you want to be connected to. Yeah, if there's one thing that's never broken in Magic, it's casting spells for way less mana than you're supposed to. Yeah. Um, speaking of things that generate massive value for uh, little input, uh, Monastery Mentor is my next pick this week, and it might be a long-term pick. My confidence level is probably an 8 and a 9, however, because this thing is 10 bucks right now. It's a Mythic uh, from a small set. Uh, in a few years, uh, if they haven't reprinted it yet, and the only place I can really see that happening is probably Modern Masters 2019 at this point. Um you know, it's going to get a shot at hitting 20 bucks before it has any chance of coming back down. And the supply is not tremendously deep. The card is good in a myriad of formats, not the least of which is EDH. It's good in Vintage and Legacy. It doesn't really have a permanent home in Modern, but people keep trying to make it work there. Um, but it's also got Frontier legs. Uh, Black-White Tokens is a very real deck in Frontier, so is Green-White. 
um, and mentor is uh, also has potential as you know a Jess guy or Esper uh, style control and overwhelm build uh, in modern. So uh, I like the card. I've liked it for a long time. I've been putting copies away here and there, and definitely will be looking to pick up at least another three or four playsets this month. Yeah, I don't think this is the first time you've mentioned this card on the cast. In fact, it might not be the second. Um, but I, I'm right there with you. I've liked this for a very long time as well, ever since it was printed in standard. Uh, and I, I feel like it has always been on the edge of modern. And we are we have always been very close to this making it in modern. Um, and if, if we get there, it's just going to explode. And yeah, good card. It's a good card. All right, what's your next pick? Uh, so my next card is definitely more on the watch side of things than the buy side of things right now. But I, I'm looking at Dark Slick Shores. Uh, Fatal Push is an uncommon that's being printed in this set. It's a one mana instant speed removal spell that's very powerful, uh, particularly in the context of Modern, where it kills a lot of cards. Um, and I have seen people talking about how, and not just like, you know, randos but actual pros talk about how we could see jund fade away from modern for a while because fatal push is so good you don't need red when I mean, you don't need lightning bolt um, and it could push the deck firmly back into jund or, or junk or even saltai which we haven't really seen in modern yet um now and, and i know blackleaf cliffs is like a 20 dollars card 20 to 25 bucks uh dark Slick shores is in the eight dollar range right now eight to nine dollars i think that if we do see saltai rise in power level because of fatal push that dark slick shores would probably come along for the ride um because you know if you're playing blue black green uh the, the reason black cliff cliffs was good in jund is it gave you access to black and red so you could thought caesar bolt on turn one dark slick shores would give you access to um discard or fatal push or uh, visions or spell snare right all the one mana blue spells um so I think that if there was any of the dual lands you'd want, any of the, the fast lands you'd want in Salt High and Modern, it would be Dark Slick Shores. So again, I'm not telling you to go out and buy these, but I'm telling you to keep an eye on them because if you see Salt High start to rise to prominence in Modern, uh, this land will probably be there. Uh, I, I feel confident that both Saltai and Esper are going to get heavily tested with the addition of Fatal Push um, for the reasons you mentioned. So I think it's a solid pick. Uh, it's a land that might be in... in uh, uh, experience a demand profile uh, this year that it hasn't had reason to before and is unlikely to see a reprinting anytime soon. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You got a you got a spicy one for us next, James. Yeah, this was just a leftover from last week. It didn't make my list. I just didn't have room. Um, but the Rings of Bright Hearth uh, Masterpiece Invention, um, if you source them from Europe in the same method that we covered last week, and I've got an article up on MTG Price talking about the European to US arbitrage as well that you might want to check out if you haven't yet. Um, you know, we've been picking up Rings of Bright Hearth this week at about $30 all in. Uh, and there are very, very few copies left um, on TCG Player, as is true of several of the other EDH-specific inventions. Um, these things are moving a lot faster um, than the Expeditions did. And uh, I think that's testament to just how popular EDH has become and how willing those players are to trick out decks and... Um, the fact that the price points in the you know fifty to seventy dollar range are much more palatable than picking up a four or five hundred dollar or even eight hundred dollar playset of expeditions. Because the thing with the expeditions is, okay, you opened a foil expedition polluted delta. That's nice, but you're not going to buy three more of them. You know, most people aren't. They're going to just sell that or or trade it and get some stuff they actually need. And so I think that that has held back um, those cards from really, you know, draining out of the market fast. But Rings of Bright Hearth only has less than 10 copies left on TCG Player, and they're already in the, like, 48 to $55 range. And I would guess they're probably going to settle in the 60 to $80 range within three to six months. Yeah, I mean, you and I picked up a couple of these. Uh, as you said, we're, we're fans of this. It is interesting how much more popular the Master Period series has been than it expeditions i wonder i wonder too if it has something to do with the aesthetic of the card um the the masterpiece frame has just been uh, much more well received than the expeditions in general yeah uh, it's possible that that's the case i mean i never had a problem with the with the old aesthetic in fact i think some of the the, the worst lands have some of the best art in that series that could certainly be an issue um but uh you know even things like 
Godless Shrine uh, seems to be on the move. It may end up on my list sooner rather than later. Um, I was looking at a play set of those for about $200 on eBay just before the holidays and never got around to pulling the trigger, and now they're at about 80 bucks a piece. So um, we might see some movement on those this year. If we, if we did, then it would certainly... Um, uh, embolden the MTG finance community to start moving in on these things because I think with expeditions people felt a little bit burned that they didn't get to make money right away. Yeah, that's quite that's quite possible. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing some of the expeditions go up too. Uh, all right, so my last pick of the week, uh, I wrote about this on Monday um, over on MTG Price. Uh, if you missed that, there's a little more there as well. But I'm looking at uh, Retract. Um, this is from Dark Steel. Uh, well, it's not supposed to be DTK. Uh, started the week at around two, or it's at two, two and a half right now. Um, I I could see this jumping up into the high single digits. The retract is a one mana spell that returns all of your artifacts to your hands. Um, it is a key component of the modern Cheerios deck, which plays pure steel paladin and a ton of zero mana artifacts. Um, so you play all the artifacts for free. Uh, you draw cards with Pure Steel Paladin every time you cast one. Eventually, you play a Mox Opal, generate a blue, cast Retract to return all of them to your hand, and then you uh, you do it all again. Um, and you can basically draw through most of your deck, and then you kill them with a Grape Shot. Uh, it was a cool deck. I played it in Modern. I think I was like, I don't know, 5-3 and three or something like that. And I beat every deck without Lightning Bolt and lost to every deck with Lightning Bolt. Uh, but what's important here is we're getting uh, SRAM who is, for the purposes of this deck, another Pure Steel Paladin. He's two mana, and you draw a card when you cast a uh, equipment. So now that the deck has redundancy in the creature slot, um, and possible, and also it, you kind of have redundancy in the Retract slot with Hercules Recall, except Retract is just like strictly better here. Uh, it, it, it does set up Retract to be um, a cornerstone in a possible uh, sudden explosion of a modern combo deck. Um Supply is extremely low. It's a very old rare. Uh, it kind of jumped a while ago, so we already had a bit of a spike that drained a lot of the excess supply. Uh, so, you know, if, if somebody comes out with a good Cheerios build, I would not be surprised to see this price easily triple or more. Yep, I think that's pretty solid. I mean, it, it, the key here is that it needs Cheerios to do well to make, to make a, a solid move, I think, unless somebody else comes up with something we haven't seen yet. Um, but the inventory is low enough, but that, you know, a single on-camera appearance at a GP or a pro tour could pull, could, you know, get that trigger pulled. Um, I guess there's no, I guess there's no modern pro tours anymore, so it's gotta be at a GP. Right. And I mean, it's worth pointing out, Pure Steel Paladin is also well positioned too. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, I, I'm drawn to retract cause it's just cheaper. Yep. Fair enough. I think it's a solid pick. All right, so we're skipping metagame week and review this week. Uh, that will should be back next week, um, as I think we've got a, a big legacy tournament coming up, and then we should have a pro tour relatively soon. Um, Man, with a legacy tournament coming up, we might as well skip next week's metagame too. <laughs> <laughs> so let's jump in on some of the spoilers from uh, Ether Revolt that have caught our eye. And I think probably the maybe the approach we should take with this is... Um, uh, as opposed to trying to pick out things that are underpriced now, um, because unless you feel differently, um, my position is currently that everything's overpriced because the hype train's been running pretty hot. Um, but cards that I think that we're going to end up making money on when they drop too low uh, next summer and set themselves up for like a two-year hold or something. Yeah, sure. I, I, I look at that and I also look at cards that turn on other cards that I'm interested in. Sure. But... What, what, so what's catching your eye? What do you what do you like in here? Well, you just mentioned SRAM. Uh, that seems like an excellent long-term pick for EDH, and I think the foils are going to move fast uh, as soon as they go up. Um, so I think that if you can see, if you see cheap foils of SRAM, um, you know, in the first couple of weeks heading towards peak supply, then you probably just snap those up because he's a 2-2 legendary creature. He's a dwarf. Um, he's an advisor, which is weird. He should... <laughs> I'm not sure that advisors are ever going to be a tribal uh, thing, but certainly dwarf might be. And he only costs two. And whenever you cast an aura, equipment, or vehicle spell, you draw a card. So, I mean, there's going to be decks that want one of those three things forever. Um, the card has enough utility that it may see play in modern, as you said, in Cheerios or in something else that pops up down the road. Um, you know, those are foils I will probably want to get my hands on if the price seems right. Uh, mm -hmm. 
I mean, typically you're going to want to be aiming under five for a foil rare that's in print, but I suspect that they're going to spike into the 10 to 15 zone first and then slowly uh, push back down as more supply enters the market. What's uh, what's foil pure still paladin at right now? Mm, that's a good question. Let's take a look. Because that's a pretty similar parallel there. Yeah, I mean, that one's, you know, seven, eight years old now, right? But the yeah, uh, those foils are only 10 bucks, so... Uh, but there's not very much supply um, for the same reasons that uh, uh, Retract is is a viable target. Like there's maybe 10 foils on TCG and they range from 10 to 15. So um, now arguably because Pure Steel Paladin only deals with equipment, whereas SRAM deals with uh, vehicles, which, you know, obviously we only have gotten them from Kaladesh block, but we'll almost certainly see them again now because they were relatively well received. Um, but it also reacts to auras. So, um, you know, decks like Enchantress might want to run this guy um, if they're running a lot of auras. Um, and I suspect that uh, there will be a, a bunch of different opportunities down the road for him to pop uh, on the basis of something getting popular. Fatal Push is obviously the, the card that is, has been talked about most as being a, def a new defining card in modern. Um, interesting that they made it an uncommon instead of a rare, which would have been the slot I would have thought it would have taken. Um, and that certainly gives me pause, um, given what I think foils are going to be going for. I think they'll probably start in the $20 range. Um, and I think that this is one you also want to sit on for a while because foil uncommons are significantly, uh, more, uh, ha significantly, uh, more supply will be available of fatal push uncommons, uh, in foil than you would have seen if it was a rare or a mythic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is really hard for standard foil on commons to really go bonkers, even if they're great cards. Um, you just don't see the price that high on that type of stuff. Um, I, mean, I also think that SRAM counting auras is, is certainly relevant. I yeah. forgot about that. So then all the expertise cycle, I think, are probably going to be do busted things either now <laughs> within the next two years while they're legal and standard or at some point in the future. Um and I think that because they only cast, most of them cast uh, four, three, or two casting cost spells, they might not be that big a deal long-term for EDH, but uh, they can. the green one is certainly a busted card in EDH. That thing casts uh, any spell under five, right? Um, yeah, you, you draw cards equal to the creature you have with the greatest power, if I'm not mistaken, and then... And then you cast another card out of your hand for five or less. Uh, yeah, draw cards equal to the greatest power among creatures you control. You may cast a card with converted mana cost five or less from your hand without paying its cost. So that's Rishkar's expertise. Um, I think for modern purposes, I'm most interested in the white and red and blue expertise. They need to be tested to be proven, um, but they certainly have massive potential. I mean, in black-white tokens, I would definitely test Ram's expertise to make three servos um, into an intangible virtue, which is putting six power on the table, and then into a Liliana or a Lingering Souls. Um, or a bitter blossom, yeah. or another intangible virtue. Like fucking for sure, I'll do that. Yeah, yeah. The Ceram's expertise is pretty solid in that deck, almost at its cost. Like even without the free spell, mm -hmm. like it's not it's not good enough. But you're not that far off. Um, so for sure, certainly does some interesting things. The whole cycle, I I kind of can't understand how Wizards printed this. Like the most reliable, the two most reliable busted things in Magic are free fast mana and casting and reducing the cost of spells so i don't know i, yeah. I don't get it, it i don't get it but it surprises me but you know every single spell that basically has a lower every single spell that has kind of a lower cost than its actual value like there's like additional cost or something it's mm -hmm. just uh it really sets all of that type of stuff up you know the split cards are only the start of this um, there's a lot of room for those for these to do other things as well. So um, that entire cycle is just turns on so many possibilities that it's hard to kind of grasp them all right now. I think that once it gets to peak supply, metallic mimic foils and non-foils um, are at whatever their low ends up being are going to be fantastic pickups for the future. Um, this is the 2-1 shapeshifter for two. It's an artifact creature. When it enters the battlefield, you choose a creature type. 
Mimic is the chosen type in addition to its other types, and each other creature you control of the chosen type enters the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on it. Um, there are significant advantages to your lord being uh, super flexible, um, able to slip into any tribe, and giving counters instead of giving a um, state-based bonus. The because there are so many ways to interact with counters, to multiply them, to, to double them, to, um, you know, interacting interactions with the Traxa and doubling season and Chasm Skulker and all sorts of crazy shit, as well as potentially um, being the thing that activates a tribe that just needed one more lord to be relevant. You know, vampires or something um, might be interested in Mimic just because they needed the one extra lord to become that much more competitive, whether in EDH or kitchen table magic or long shot chances in, in modern. So I, I think Mimic's going to be just... A fantastic all-star down the road in casual circles yeah yeah i know several people um who have pointed out this card as a as a huge gainer long term that are excited about uh the long-term prospects on it uh you know what i was looking at was uh aether sphere harvester which i don't believe we've gotten that in english yet um this is the three mana vehicle uh it's a three five flyer when it enters the battlefield you get two energy and then you can pay an energy to give it lifelink, and it's only got a crew of one. Um, th- it feels like a just a slightly beefier smuggler's copter to me. Uh, it doesn't have a loot, but it, it survives more, and it gains you life. Um, it's just as easy to crew. It's only costs slightly more mana. It's an interesting card, um, and I wonder if it's going to do what smuggler's copter did, where it was like, oh, it turns out this is just really good, and people should be playing a lot of them. Uh, is it better than Smuggler's Copter? Eh, it's hard to make that claim, um, but it certainly there's a lot packed onto that text box. So uh, I'm, you know, I'm kind of waiting and seeing. But you know, keep an eye out if you start seeing this pop up in top eights pretty quickly. This could pull a copter and go from you know a dollar or two to five, six, eight, ten bucks in standard if it turns out it's uh, as good as some think it might be. But because the baseline is Copter and then pro- probably Heart of Kieran, depending on what deck you're running. Um, and there's at least five or six viable uh, vehicles now that were not viable before because suddenly you have um, vehicles that turn on other vehicles and red spells that turn on vehicles. Um, I think we're going to see a like heavy, heavy vehicles deck that, that will be tested out to just smash in with giant things every turn. Um, who knows if that will be, uh, you know, tier one or tier two or, you know, fringes, but... Um, uh, I, I think that a lot of the vehicles could see increased demand profiles. Whether or not they see demand down the road really depends on whether they get additional support in the form of a di- you know another set in the next five years that helps vehicles move along. At which point, uh, a lot of these you know long shot specs from Kaladesh might get activated. Yeah, I, I w- I'm not claiming that it's you know guaranteed to be some um, humongous haymaker in standard. It's more just like a, you know this card looks a lot like Doctor Dead copter did at this time of you know or heading into kaladesh so uh just kind of keep an eye on it um because these are the those are the types of cards that you can really clean up on if you can spot them early enough in the cycle the the fact that it blocks copter all day is pretty sweet um so i mean it's certainly got a role to play in the format the uh the other one that caught my eye is life crafters bestiary this is an artifact for three at the beginning of your creep you you descry so you get a scry every turn and whenever you cast a creature spell, you may pay one green, and if you do, you draw a card. That Foils of that, once they hit their low, seem like EDH gold three to five years down the road. Yeah, that's an interesting card for sure. Um, I uh, Some other people pointed that out too. I wasn't, it didn't, I, I wasn't really wowed by it when I first saw it, but uh, it has grown on me in, uh, in time for sure. Um, yeah, it doesn't do anything big and flashy, but it's just an excellent value engine for the kinds of decks that want to that would want both of those effects. Right, 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 right. I also like um wait, what was the name of it? Mechanized production. That's another one that I think uh will do very well in the long term. This is the four mana enchantment aura. Uh you enchant an artifact you control, and then at the beginning of your upkeep, you create a token of that artifact. Then if you control eight artifacts with the same name as one another, you win the game. So for four mana, you are making a copy of one of your up artifacts every upkeep. So a worm coil engine or a hedron archive or whatever. Um, and then also, if you happen to have eight of something, you just win the game. So if you have clues in your deck, you know, if you're playing with Tamio's journal or what have you, uh, you know, that becomes, you don't even have to enchant the clue. It's just if the clue is being enchanted also. 
Um, so I certainly like the the long-term prospects on this too. This feels like one of those mythics that'll hang out at a dollar, a dollar fifty for a while, and then we'll get two years down the road and it will be three, four, or five, six dollars. Sure. The the other thing that, that's already making a move and it's currently at seven dollars on Star City is Baral Chief of Compliance, the one blue, one three, a legendary human wizard that makes all your instants and sorceries cast one less. Uh, sorry, cost one less. Um, and whenever a spell or ability you control counters something, uh, you may draw a card if you do discard a card. Um, you know, this is a control player's wet dream kind of card. Um, they would certainly love it if it, if they could uh, stack it up. Um, but, you know, a legendary version uh, will probably find a home somewhere. At $7, I would stay well clear of this as a rare. If it was a mythic, I might be a little bit more uh, interested. Um, I think it will probably end up having a role in standard if the counters are good enough to justify it. Or if there's a deck that just wants to be casting a bunch of instants and sorceries over and over again for some other reason, um, this could certainly help things move while being a decent blocker uh, up front. Um, This is the kind of card you don't want to be jumping in on at the current price. You want to wait and see what happens um, and decide what to do once it's gotten towards peak supply. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Mm-hmm. I'm with you there. His expertise is a little more interesting because it's one of the you know the cards that casts other cards for free. This is the one we talked about earlier. This is three and two blue. It's a sorcery. You get to return up to three target artifacts and or creatures to their owner's hand. Um, so it's a little bit better than your average bounce spell. And then you get to cast something for four for free. So, I mean, who knows what you might want to do with four, four casting costs or less. That could be anything from a Gideon to a... Uh, factor fiction geez who like <laughs> I, this card is going to see demand in the long term because it, it's so it has the the thing i love most about cards um that i spec on which is open-ended synergy the the opportunity for people's imagination to run wild driving hype is what sells cards in the end yeah yeah for sure for sure you know what else has caught my eye is a uh, spire of industry this is the rare land i thought it was uncommon at first but it's Rare land, you tap for a waste, and then tap and pay one. You may add one one life. You can add one mod of any color. You can only do it if you have an artifact. But this is almost a better city of brass. I mean, I, I can't say that it is, but um, you know, this is a land that can come down and tap for a colorless, no problem. Uh, so you can always use it for mana. And then if you have any artifact, suddenly it's it's a city of brass that you can use when you want. You don't have to pay the life for it. So having that option to not have to pay life every single time, but like being able to do it when you need it is really interesting. Um, and this could be, you know, you could, you could see a lot of standard mana bases that start out with four spire of industry and four of the, uh, what Aetherworks trade hub or something like that. The one that uses Aether energy. Hub, yeah. To, Aether hub. yeah. So I mean, that's eight five color lands in standard decks. That's really interesting. And you know, if you get to a point where the mana starts supporting decks like that, you see a lot of those types of decks, and then the lands get played constantly. Um, you know, we've seen this with the, the the trade hub, where lots and lots of decks are playing that because it's a colorless slash five color card. So there's a lot of demand for it from a lot of sources. In cons of Tarkir, you saw everybody playing extremely similar they were all playing different decks but they all had very similar mana bases with the fetches and the um, battle lands and then you could see something similar end up with uh, everybody playing spires and trade up so it's just it seems like this could end up all over the place in standard given that it's at five bucks already on star city um i definitely want to see this come down in the dollar to two dollar range before i jump in and at that point, what I'm really going to be looking for is whether anybody successfully demonstrates that it's playable in modern in either um, uh, Affinity, which may not want it, and if they did, they might only want one or maximum two copies, um, or in, jeez, uh, what's the, the, <laughs> the deck that runs in Staring Bridge and a whole bunch of artifacts? Lantern Control. Thank you. So, yeah, Lantern Control. It's actually, it's actually it, called it, Barbershop. Because it's a little off the top. <laughs> right. So Lantern Control uh, might run Spire of Industry. I'm pretty sure I saw Sam Black compare, uh, confirm on social media somewhere that he was going to try it. Uh, and if the foils get really low because it's not making a splash in standard um, and it ends up being having an outsider's shot at modern um, and the foils are under five bucks, then I, I might be interested in a couple copies. Yeah, I mean, I'm not paying five dollars for 
the spireworks industry. Let me get make that clear right now. Uh, it's more just a, you know, kind of keep an eye on it. Be aware that this is the type of card that could become a major part of standard. So if nobody's playing it for a week or two and then suddenly half the teams at the Pro Tour show up with it in their deck, well, yeah, okay, that, that'll do it. So the other legendary creature that caught my eye as a slam dunk long-term EDH staple, and the foils are probably going to be off the chain right from the get-go, is Rishkar Pima Renegade, the two and a green 2-2 elf druid. Uh, when he enters the battlefield, you put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two creatures. So excellent inter- interactions in Atraxa with hardened scales and, and all of the counter madness in those decks. Um, and then each of the creatures you control with a counter on it has, uh, has add... Uh, tap, add green to your mana pool. So it basically turns everything into a Lantern War Elf that gets a bunch of counters. Um, and yeah, I mean, that guy might be a deck a deck commander unto himself. Uh, and if not, he would be a sub commander with, uh, or a lieutenant in, in Atraxa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, overall, I find myself when I'm looking at the Aether Revolt spoilers, far and away, I am most interested in all of the expertise cards. And for the wide variety of opportunities they open up in standard and especially modern, I don't see anything as being really more impactful than that cycle. Uh, I would not be surprised. You know, I feel like back in call is just the tip of the iceberg on this. We will see. But uh, between those and fatal push, I think you're going to see a lot of shifts in modern, honestly. Yeah, it's possible. It's all going to have to be, you know, uh, it's going to have to uh, play out in the test uh, room at the table and 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 prove itself against the the best decks in modern and part of this will depend on whether modern's you know turn two kills from uh, in fact and turn you know three three and a half four kills from uh, death shadow and and the other aggro decks like infinity in some way get neutered on the next ban cycle if nothing gets banned then modern is still very very fast and four mana spells might not be that don't immediately win you the game might not be where you want to be. Um, but if they slow down the format by banning a couple things or bringing back something um, like a, a Jace or a Bloodbraid Elf or who knows what they might do. Um, I, I, I'm still of the position, I, I, the expectation that they've got to do something. Like I'm just assuming that they're going to do something to Modern, whether it's kicking out um, Become Immense or Gataxian Probe or, or one of those types of cards. Uh, I don't know for sure. I mean, I don't have any inside information, but it just sort of seems like they need to do something because I agree if they don't, then it's, it's still extremely wide open. It's if they, if they don't change anything, then you're right. It's hard to get away from the in fact lantern type metagame that we have. Yeah. And I mean, many pros agree. The other card that's pretty cute. I don't know if it's going to get played anywhere, um, but I think people are going to want to own it because it's just so hilarious is Carrie Zev, Skyship Raider. This is the 1-3 human pirate for one and a red first strike menace. And whenever she attacks, she creates a legendary 2-1 red monkey creature named Ragavan. (laughs) Exile that token at end of... Yeah, the card's so dumb that people are going to be buying it forever. Um, Yeah, I don't disagree with that. How much is that monkey token going to be worth? (laughs) Oh, yeah. There better be a monkey token or people are going to be upset. There is. They spilled it on Twitter. Oh, it's amazing. Yep. Excellent. Do you notice, by the way, how many of these uh, legendary creatures are three mana and less? Like, apparently Wizard saw tiny leaders and decided to spend an entire year designing sets around it. It's pretty amazing that Wizards clearly spent more time designing for tiny leaders than the entire Magic community spent playing that format. (laughs) All right. So here is two cards uh, that I think might be underpriced. Um, one is our new legendary artifact creature, Thopter, Hope of Girapur. Um, this is a 1-1 flyer for one and uh, seems very innocuous, except that you sacrifice Hope of Girapur until your next turn, target player who was dealt damage, uh, combat damage by Hope of Girapur this turn can't cast non-creature spells. So what you're talking about is a 1-1 flyer that comes down on turn one that you start hitting with, and you're pinging away, and at some point you decide, hey, next turn they're probably going to kill something I don't want them to, or they're going to be set up to counter, or they're going to want to put a Gideon or another Planeswalker into play, and so I'm going to sack Hope of Giripper and stop that from happening and try to time walk them. 
Now, whether or not that ends up being useful in various formats depends entirely on the metagame and how heavily dependent people are uh, on casting their non-creature spells on curve. But given that it's only at $2 right now um, and is likely to find synergies down the road since Thopters seems to be a tribe they're going to keep supporting for a while, um, I, I think that at 2 I'm hesitant, but anywhere under that I'm all in for at least 12 copies. Really? You like it that much? I, I think it could end up having some kind of weird tempo-based Xanted Swarm effect in some kind of Flyers deck uh, in Standard and or Modern, um, where you're just like, you're you're interfering with their turn at, at, at times that they don't want that to be happening. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of decks uh, in Modern that would be pretty hard done by if they had to skip um, non-creature spells um, for one or more turns and this isn't even to say isn't even to talk about situations where you're recursing this thing i mean a one one artifact uh creature is uh can can easily end up as some part of some combo where you're recursing it i mean just there are already creatures that bring one cast and cost artifacts back from the graveyard you can use trinket mage to go find this thing um so I think at a dollar, at, at a dollar, I start to get pretty pretty hot for the card, and I would probably put maybe twenty or thirty away. And if the foils end up in the like two to three dollar range because it ends up not played at first, then yeah, I would jump in for a bunch. Well, you know, it's it's funny that the most successful card in RTR block was Judge's Familiar, right? This card was a four of main deck in something like four Pro Tour winning decks or three Pro Tour winning decks. It was insane. How popular this card, how good this card was. And Hope of Gear is actually pretty close in that it's a one mana, one one flyer. Um, and they both stymie your opponent's abilities to cast instants and sorceries. Now, Judge's Familiar is reactive, it's an onboard trick. So it's much, you know, you don't have to time it in the same way that you do with Hope of Gear um, but of course, Hope of Gear Purr is colorless, which means you've got a little more flexibility on it. Uh, and it is technically more powerful. Um, you know, it just locks them out of spells completely. Uh, you can also use this to, to get your own spells into play on counter because you attack sack it, and then you can cast your spell on that turn and they now can't counter it. Um, which is, which could be very useful too. Uh, the only, the, the real issue I have with this, because I, I, I like the Judge Familiar uh, comparison, but the, the one issue I have is that it's legendary, so you can't put a bunch in the play, which I, I don't know how much that matters, but it seems like it would be more than zero. Oh yeah, I mean, legendary is certainly worse than not legendary, um, but I think the argument would be more like um, as with various planeswalkers, you kind of you put this into play, you use it, you use it as a creature until you need it, and then you sack it and get the effect, and then you'd be happy to drop another one out of your hand um, if you are still in the market for that effect. <laughs> I mean, being able to keep keep them off the top end of their curve if it was planeswalkers um, for you know two or three turns by going back to back to back on these, maybe that's good enough in a tempo deck. Um, if a tempo deck can't find a use for it, I don't know where it goes. Um, unless you have some kind of recursive method to lock them, you know, get some kind of soft lock going where you've got them locked out kind of semi-permanently on non-creature spells. Um, there are certainly situations where I could see that being a thing. The other artifact creature that's caught my eye for similar reasons is Scat Scrap Trawler, um, because this certainly could be one of the things that helps it. This is the three mana three two that whenever it or another artifact you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, return to your hand target artifact card in your graveyard with lesser converted mana cost. Now, if it had been equal or less, then you would have just recursed uh, the one one guy over and over and over again. It would have been crazy. So. You have to find a two casting cost or, uh, well, you have to find anything, any artifact creature that you can recurse in some way um, that uh, allows you to keep getting back the, the one casting cost guy. But it's not, you know, beyond the pale to believe that that could be possible. And this is also a $2 rare right now. Um, so if somebody figures out that how to combine the two of them and put together some kind of crazy construct deck or something, um, because we did get a whole bunch of constructs and we've only seen half the set. Um, you know, maybe there's something there. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I'm not uh, not discounting it entirely. Um, go ahead. Is it, the other thing I like about the set is there's tons of good uncommons. Like maybe the oh, best, yeah. maybe the best like array of uncommons we've seen in a long time. And that 
that's a, the kind of thing you really want to look for when you're trying to figure out what boxes you want to own. And I mean, sealed boxes are not really where the money's at right now. But if I had to pick a, a set, I, I really want to be picking a set that's going to, that once it's out of print and the in-print status no longer limits the total uh, EV of a box, um, having a really deep uncommons pool can be a really good way to, to be a gainer. I mean, the original Modern Masters 2013 boxes um, have now gotten to the point where a ton of the uncommons in those boxes are worth good money, and that's why those boxes are in reasonably high demand, despite the fact that we've got another Modern Masters coming. Um, I just sold another box of that this week. Um, and one of the uncommons that I really like is Treasure Keeper, which is kind of like this weird analog in the artifact creature realm to all of the expertise cycle. This is a 3-3 three, three for 4, and when it dies, you reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a non-land card with Kedavirna mana cost 3 or less. You may then cast that card without paying its mana cost, and you put all other revealed cards in the bottom of your library in random order. So this thing casts stuff for free. You can A Treasure Keeper can, keeper can block something, die, get back... a uh, Put a scrap trawler into play, um, and then when something else dies, you're getting back your legendary 1-1 guy. I have no idea if that's even close to good, um, but it's certainly something I would keep my eye on. Did you say you sold a box of MMA recently? Yep. How much you get for it? 380 And that was Canadian, right? No, US. I, I don't sell in Canada. Oh. Where'd you sell it? Uh, eBay. Hmm. I see. Um... Yeah, you know, it's funny you were saying that because <clears throat> I was just looking at two uncommons and I think this falls outside of the realm of our ability to make money. But, you know, Consulate Dreadnought is a one mana yeah. seven eleven. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean it's got crew six, so like it's in the ass or not. But there's also an uncommon that for three mana gives a thing three oh in first strike. So in modern you can go turn one seven eleven, turn two, uh like Simeon Spirit Guide, turn it into a 10-11 first strike and just go ham and it's like okay well i mean i guess it gets fatal pushed you can push the dreadnought under into the water i don't know what that's supposed to be but yeah it's yeah, it's an interesting little combination there but again i don't think there's any money in it somebody because it's an uncommon if it was a rare um down the road then foils might be uh, of a special interest in the same way that kind of phyrexian dreadnought is always a card people are trying to break even you know 20 years later um, one of the guys who's a legacy specialist here in Toronto was was working with me on a, a Eldrazi uh, deck uh, for legacy that ran four Phyrexian Dreadnought last year into Mimics. So you basically like slap down Mimic and then drop a Dreadnought and the Mimic would turn into a 12-12 and you'd swing and people would be like, what the fuck just happened? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this this I has the same that. yeah this this has the same kind of potential where you could like drop a Dreadnought into this thing and then swing. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's silly uh, because it's an uncommon. I'm it's not going to make us any money, um, but I certainly look forward to the crazy deck that Saf's going to post with it. Um, it's possible. Maybe it'll be uh, foils or jump or something. I don't know. Uh, Indomitable creativity is a mythic that may have legs uh, if it gets low enough and doesn't do anything big and standard and sinks as a result. Um, this is the one X triple red sorcery destroy X target artifacts and or creatures. Um, red's ability to destroy creatures is not something you see every day. Um, not directly like that. Uh, for each permanent destroyed, its controller reveals cards from the top of their library until an artifact or creature is revealed and exiles those cards. Then they put them onto the battlefield and everybody shuffles their library. I mean, foils of this, if they get low enough, are going to be a slam dunk for EDH in the long term. It is an interesting card. I actually did make a, like, kind of stopped and noticed it when I saw it, that uh, that it's a red card that says destroy X target creatures. I'm like, boy, you really do not see that very often. Um, we also haven't talked about Yeheni's expertise, which was the first one that was revealed. Um, I think we maybe touched on it last week, but we should at least mention it again here. Um, this is the one that that's four casting costs all creatures get minus three minus three until end of turn so you get a nice little board sweeper there if you're playing against zoo etc um and then you cast a card with converted mana cost three or less so uh that's currently at about six bucks um if you can get that that down towards four dollars and it ends up showing up in modern then you know it could be a ten dollar plus card down the road yeah yeah i mean you know in those types of cards i think i'm more interested in the card that you're casting for free with it than i am the enabler because uh, it's a new rare. 
Um, there's a chance that Ethertide Whale is being underestimated. This is a dollar rare right now um, on Star City. It's a four blue blue creature whale, six four flyer. When it enters the battlefield, you get a whopping six energy. And it's like a morphling that you can never kill because as long as you have four energy, you can return it to your hand. So all you got to do is figure out uh, how to blink this in and out or bounce it real quick and put it back into play somehow um, uh, for cheaper. Probably you're, you're trying to blink it, I guess. Um, because if you can blink it once uh, for, say, seven or eight mana total, you've got 12 energy all of a sudden, which I assume you're going to be able to find some reason, some way to be uh, dealing with that. Uh, either through Etherworks Marvel or some other crazy thing that shows up in this set or some future iteration of energy. Um, I, I could see this card doing something somewhere. Um, it, it could be the finisher in some kind of weird control deck in the same way that Pearl Lake Ancient was during the KTK block. Yeah, maybe, maybe. All right, we have talked about a lot of these cards, and we have been going on for a while. Most importantly, I have to go to bed. So let's uh, let's wrap this up. Where can our listeners find you, James? Uh, you guys can find me as per usual uh, at MTG Critic on Twitter as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. Okay, and again, I'm Travis Allen. You can find me on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B U M P I N. Uh, I write every Monday on MTG Price. I'm on the occasional webcast, Cartel Aristocrats, and I, uh, I run Scry.Land. Find magic events in your area at Scry.Land. Which is a very sweet new free site you guys should all check out. Uh, I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right, that brings us to the episode end of episode 49. Uh, another enjoyable one, James. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next week. Thank you again, Travis, and we'll see you guys next week for our big 5-0 50th episode of MTG Fast Finance. <laughs>